Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The Elder To my dear friend Gaius, who I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them out on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that they may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diophanes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so, and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Well, it has been a very rainy few weeks. It's it's been cold. It's been windy at times. The sun seems to be in hiding. It can mean only one thing. It is the British barbecue season, and um, a few a little a little while ago, our much-loved barbecue had finally had enough of the British weather, and it collapsed in a pile of rust. So I went out to the shop and got a nice new shiny barbecue. The only problem with this new barbecue was that it arrives as a flat pack, and so I had to assemble it before I could use it. And um, as I tore open the packaging, there in front of me was all kinds of uh, rods and poles and metal bits and screws and so on. And I had the instruction manual there in one hand and this pile of, of sort of metal debris over here. And as I flicked through the manual, I, I just couldn't quite see how each step would lead to a finished barbecue. Uh, I just found it quite hard, baffling and confusing. And it wasn't until I turned over the manual to the back and, and I saw a picture of what a finished barbecue should look like that I was able to see how each step along the way would lead me to that finished barbecue and indeed burgers afterwards. Having a a picture of where we are heading can help massively as we work through all the steps and stages along the way. And what is true for, for barbecues and lots of things in life? Well, I think it's also true in the Christian life. Uh, this letter of three John, as we come to the end of our little season looking at John's letters from one John through here till now this morning, three John, I think it ends here for a reason. 3 John, I think, is like a a, a finished 
picture, a worked example of what a Christian life looks like if you start to put into practice and live out all that John has been teaching us over these few months. John has had much to say to us about Jesus and false teaching and about love and hate and truth and lies and false claims and certainty. And as we have gone through his, 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 his letters, it is possible for us to lose our bearings and to not quite see how it all fits together. And I think 3 John will help us this morning. For in 3 John, we have almost a picture of a Christian who's going well, who's living as John would have us live. And as we see this person, well, I think it'll help us to kind of ground and anchor all that we've been thinking about this term from John. 3 John is very different in some ways to his other letters. John wrote 1 John to, I think, a number of churches. It was to be circulated amongst many people. 2 John was written to a particular church. But 3 John is written to a particular Christian. It's very personal, very precise. It's very grounded in reality in one particular life. And look at how he begins, verse 1. The elder, that's John, I think. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. As John continues his letter, it becomes very clear that that, that Gaius is doing very well as a Christian. So look at verse 2. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Or verse 3, John talks about Gaius' faithfulness to the truth. And how he continues to walk in the truth. Or, or verse 4, he's, he's thrilled that children like Gaius walk in the truth. So Gaius is doing very well as a Christian. He is someone who I think has received John's previous letters. And he's been able to put all his teaching into practice. And he's living well, walking in the truth. And John writes to commend him for his faithfulness. And as he writes, I think he gives us a picture of what a Christian life looks like in practice as we see Gaius living well. And so here is a picture for us to aim for as we try to ground and live out all that we've heard from John this term. But it's not all positive. Yes, there's there's Gaius who's going very well in the Christian faith. But there's also Diotrephes, verse 9. Another member of the church, and sadly, his example is a negative one, one for us to avoid. So, as we come to John's end, to the end of John's letters, and we think about how to, to move on from what we've learnt, what does it look like to live out the truth that John has shown us? Well, two examples. First, Gaius, a great example of Christian love, and this is from verses two to verse eight. A great example of Christian love. It seems that the background of 3 John is that some missionaries have gone out from the home church where John is. And they've gone out carrying the great news about Jesus. So, for example, in verse 7, John talks about these missionaries. It was for the sake of the name that they went out. Uh, This word, the idea of going out, is a word often used in the New Testament to describe missionaries heading out to a new place to preach about Jesus. We saw last week that that to John, the problem there was that there were missionaries around, but they were false teacher missionaries. And John said, be very careful of those false teachers. But here in 3 John, there's a different kind of missionary, and these are the good ones. They are 
teaching about Jesus. And what has Gaius done? Well, verse five, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. In response to what Gaius has done for these missionaries, well, verse six, they have told the church about your love. John is delighted to hear news of how Gaius has welcomed in and cared for these missionaries as they've gone out speaking about Jesus. And if you like, John just says, brilliant, keep up the good work, verse six, send them on as you have been caring for them, I guess well-equipped and encouraged. Or, or verse eight, we ought to show hospitality to such men as that so that we may work together for the truth. There's nothing dramatic here, nothing showy or spectacular, and yet I think Gaius is a brilliant example of Christian love. John has had much to say to us this term about the importance of Christians loving other Christians. Well, here is a brilliant personal real-life example of Gaius living out this reality in practice as he loves the missionaries coming his way. Notice how Gaius loves. Well, it's very practical. He's showing hospitality. You can imagine him going down to the market to buy food for the evening meal. You can imagine him cooking and cleaning and sorting out bedding. And you can imagine him offering a warm welcome and kind words and showing interest and making conversation over dinner. You can imagine these missionaries arriving tired and dusty and discouraged. You can imagine them probably having nothing more than a cloak on their back on the journey. And Gaius brings them in and provides them with water and meets their needs and cares for them. And it seems he does it gladly. You see, for, for Gaius, his, his love was not just a, a feeling or a sentiment. It was worked out in practice. He really did care for these missionaries with relevant action. Notice also that he did all of this, verse 5, for people who were strangers to him. It is one thing to cook a meal and to provide a bed for family or for dear friends who we know well. Lots of people can muster that kind of love, whether you're a Christian or not. But we're told that Gaius offered this love to complete strangers, people he'd never met before. Why? Well, I think the key word is there in verse five. For they are brothers, brothers in Christ. They are Christians. And it's this Christian bond, this bond around the person of Jesus that seems to have spurred Gaius on to such practical help for people he doesn't know. I remember years ago, I found myself in Beijing with some friends, and um, during our stay, we were introduced to some Christian students. And uh, one day, I found myself going back with one of the the guys, um, I'd never met him before, he took me back to his little room, his apartment, uh, he didn't have very much at all. He's a very poor student. And uh, he cooked me a meal. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but it was the Chinese equivalent of um, beans on toast. Um, it wasn't a very fancy meal, but it was lovely. Uh, some noodles. And uh, we just sat on his floor eating a bowl of noodles and trying to talk in broken English. Um, uh, but it was amazing. We, even though we, we were strangers, culturally, relationally, he welcomed me in. 
He gave me what he had. He cooked for me. He talked to me. And we had this remarkable bond because we were brothers in Christ. And I experienced his love for me in that moment. I think that is something of the sense of Gaius here, offering what he had to these strangers, yet brothers in Christ. And I can imagine it was costly, but he gave of what he had. And notice also that Gaius loved people who were not loved by the world. Verse 7, we're told that these missionaries had received no help from the pagans. There are many uh, fine examples of of the pagan world, if you like, non-Christians performing remarkable acts of, of love and kindness. But it's very rare to find the pagan world supporting Christian missionary ventures. Why would they? And so these missionaries were finding no help at all on their journey apart from when they met a Christian. And so for Gaius to step out and to offer this very practical and very real hospitality would have been to go against the grain of his culture, of his society, even of his non-Christian friends. No one else was helping these people. For Gaius to do it would have meant that he would have stood out. He would have looked different. It may have cost him, we don't know, perhaps in his other friendships. People wouldn't have understood what he was doing. Why give all this money to help these Christians? And yet, here is Gaius, a great example of of Christian love. We don't find ourselves in quite the same situation as as Gaius. We don't, I think, find missionaries coming to us in the same way here at Christchurch Forward. And yet, I think the principle is very clear for us this morning that we should be people who are very quick to unite ourselves to any person, any endeavor that involves spreading the name of Jesus into the world. We should care deeply about those who go out in the name of Jesus to preach the gospel. And we should care in a way which is practical and involves genuine loving service and standing with them going against the grain of our world. What would this mean for us in practice? Well, I guess lots of things. Um, The Norgate family who've been with us this last year preparing to head back out to Cambodia. It might mean just asking them, how can we care for you over the next year, practically, prayerfully? What do you need? How can we encourage you? Um, just on Wednesday, we were able to pray on a church family prayer meeting. We were able to pray through some of our mission partners who have gone out, who are around the world speaking about Christ in different cultures. And we have a great opportunity to stand with them, to show our care for them. Maybe not with direct <clears throat> practical help, but through possibly financial support, through prayer, through emails, letters, showing that we care. Now, you'll find on the way out, the back there on the desk, <clears throat> our latest mission partner prayer news. There's lots of copies left. This, this is one of them. Why not pick up a copy if you don't have one yet? Take it back and pray for those who have gone out with um, preaching the name of Christ as their main aim. Um, closer to home, Paul just prayed in the prayers this morning for lots of summer camps. Um, some heading out from here to Romania and Hungary. Others going out across this country to teach uh, young people about Jesus. There are lots of needs that come with that. Practically, um, lifts, financially, um, maybe we have skills we can offer to make it possible for things to happen. Why not ask around, find out if you can help those sort of ventures? Of course, we don't have to jump on a plane or head off on summer camp to be people who step out for the sake of the name. 
We just have to walk into a classroom or into an office or down to see our neighbors down the road. And I think the example of Gaius here would encourage us to stand with anyone we know who is stepping out to speak for Jesus, even here in our local setting. Perhaps in our small groups, just really standing with people if they're having a hard time in the office as they speak about Christ, praying for them, cooking them a meal, showing them that you love them and care for them. Um, if, if you know someone's going to have a hard conversation with a neighbor, why not um, pop around beforehand and just say, well, you know, we're praying with you, we're, we're here for you. Um, there's lots of things we could do, but the heart here is to stand with practically and to encourage those who step out speaking the name of Jesus. I think another principle here for us isn't just about standing with missionaries as they go out, but it's also just about hospitality in general. Not just showing hospitality for people we know well or get on with, but looking out for other Christians who need our love. These missionaries needed love. Well, there are lots of other people who need our love. Summer can be a very difficult time for some people. I know some of us are looking forward to holidays and we think it's a time to relax and recover, but for others, it's a hard time. Perhaps it's a time of loneliness. Perhaps people can't afford to go on holiday and they really feel it as others go away. There'll be people in this church family who are, who are, who are feeling lonely, who've been bereaved, and summer is difficult. It's a great opportunity for us to get alongside and care for and show hospitality to those who find this time difficult. There'll be others who are arriving in Sheffield, perhaps for a new job, where their lives have changed, and they're here, and they're looking around church, and they walk in the door here, and they're brand new, and they don't know anyone. And you can tell they just need a a smile and a handshake and a welcome. Perhaps we could come over the summer with, with a meal back home already cooked and ready to go, hoping to find someone who's new that we can bring back. And then if we do meet someone, we've got something lined up, and we can just say, look, we've got some food, there's plenty left over, come back with you and just share some Christian fellowship. Let's aim to be like Gaius, a great example of practical, heartfelt Christian love. But before we move on, where did Gaius get the wherewithal to love like this? Because if we really understand how Gaius loved, we'll see that it would have been costly, it would have been inconvenient, perhaps messy to his diary well the clues are there verse 3 John says that Gaius is faithful to the truth he continues to walk in the truth or verse 4 he is one of John's children who walks in the truth and when John talks about truth he's not simply meaning a set of propositions that can become so dry and dull and academic no for John the, the truth is a person, Jesus Christ. And to walk in the truth is to walk in and with Christ. It is to live a life being constantly mindful of all that Christ has done for us. We've seen that in one John, haven't we? His death on the cross, bearing our sin on himself. The outrageous love of God demonstrated to us, bringing us in, calling us his children, giving us a wonderful certain hope of the future. And it's as we live in that relationship, with that kind of love, with that kind of perspective on our world, so I think we find the wherewithal to love others. 
That's been John's logic all the way through his letters, and I think it's true here also for Gaius. He is a man who walks in the truth, and so is able to be a great example of Christian love. There is, of course, another example here in 3 John, which I mentioned at the beginning. Next, Diotrephes. And he is a great warning, I think, about self-love. Verses 9 to 12, a great warning about self-love. I think John's tone changes. Having spoken with such joy and in such glowing terms about his dear friend Gaius, well, verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. We don't know much about Diotrephes. It seems that he was in church leadership, perhaps even in the very church that Gaius was attached to. What is clear is that there has been a break in the relationship between John, us, the the apostles, and Diotrephes. John says he will have nothing to do with us. Why? I don't think it's an issue of of theology or, or doctrine. We've seen throughout John's letters that he's not shy to speak up if he sees some false teaching around. No, he's very bold, very clear on Christ and what matters. But at no point does he mention a problem with Diotrephes' teaching about Christ. And so I think it's probably not that Diotrephes has got something wrong about Christ and his teaching. He's not a false teacher. I think he may well be a Christian, but yet there is a problem. I think the issue here is what John talks about in verse 9. He says that Diotrephes loves to be first. The sense here is that he loves to be a person who's in a position of leadership. He loves to be at the head of the local church. And he loves it in an unhealthy way. I think he doesn't want John, the apostle, muscling in and telling him how he should um, run his diary and whom he should accept and not accept. John has been saying, look, there's some missionaries coming your way. They're dear brothers in Christ. Would you please welcome them? And Diotrephes is saying, no, I won't. And the issue is he doesn't want John telling him what to do. That seems to be the thing because Diotrephes loves to be first. In fact, he goes so far as to not only not welcome the missionaries, verse 10, he also stops anyone else within the church family welcoming these dear missionaries, and he puts them out of the church if they do. And to put someone out of the church is is the strongest kind of discipline you can act out as a church leader. It's strong stuff from Diotrephes. He is throwing his weight around. So what is going on here? I think we are seeing the root behind so much strife and division within churches. I think it is self-love. It is self-promotion, the, the, the love of being first. We do see it in the world around us, don't we? If you think of the office context, you can imagine a team leader who, who loves to be first in their team, who runs his or her patch as if it's their little empire, and they're very threatened by anyone who muscles in and tries to take over. And they, and they fight and push back and they cut off ties very quickly. But sadly, that kind of defensive territory maintenance creeps its way into churches. 
a love of being first. It's the opposite kind of attitude that John wants us to have. John wants us to love other Christians, to have the same attitude as Christ, to be like Gaius who spent himself caring for other people. And here is Diotrephes doing the opposite. Rather than giving himself in love, he's actually promoting himself, self-love. Some of us uh, may have heard the story. It's a sad story of a, of a well-known church leader across in the U.S. Uh, he was a, a pastor of a large and growing church. But over the years, it seems that he gradually cut himself off from the counsel and wisdom of close Christian friends and leaders. He became unapproachable and unteachable in various ways. It wasn't so much that he started to teach wrongly about Christ, or he, he wasn't a false teacher, but there was concerns about his attitude and even his pride. And then reports started coming from the staff team and key church members, reports of alleged bullying and overly firm leadership. And sadly, it all came to a head, and this church leader has stepped down. That's what seems to be happening, I think, with Diotrephes. He's putting the walls up. He's cutting off accountability and submission to his church leadership. And as he does so, he starts to turn around and beat up his own church family as he throws his weight around in his local church. And notice how Diotrephes um, rejects John's leadership. (laughs) Instead of engaging with John directly and, and discussing whether or not this was a wise step with regard to these missionaries, no, his response is to gossip. You can imagine it, can't you? Oh, John, he's always throwing his weight around. He's always so dismissive. He, who do you, th- you think he is? He's so patronizing to me, so rude. He doesn't understand. I never trusted him anyways. Always trying to take over. You can imagine that kind of conversation happening, can't you? As Diotrephes gossips about John to those around him. And sadly, that dynamic happens today. People who um, are confronted by a church leader with an issue, their response isn't to engage with with the issue. It's rather they go away and they gossip about the person. And so I think Diotrephes is a great warning about what self-love does in a church. It's a warning here for any church leader, and I include myself in this warning, not to love being first. To not grasp at leadership. It's the mistake the disciples made with Jesus. Do you remember who's the greatest? That desire, that grasping warps our love for Christ and our love for others. And it often leads to a a closing down of the lines of communication and accountability with other churches. But of course, it's not just overall leaders who can fall in this temptation I think any of us here can view our own little patch as our area. We've probably heard about other churches where maybe it was the church choir or the the flower team or the coffee team or the welcome team or the whatever team. 
They've seen that particular area as an area that is untouchable. We don't want interference from the rest of the church leadership. It, it's our thing. It's our patch. We will run it our way. And this stubbornness it is terrible for church unity, and it certainly was here in the case of Diotrephes. And so often it can flow out of self-love. And in its worst form, I think, Diotrephes actually loved himself more than the prospect of other people hearing the gospel. He was happy to stop missionaries coming to keep his own position in the church. And so here's a sober warning for us. Not doctrinal error or or false teaching, but rather self-love. And given what we've heard about love from John's letters this term, to not love other Christians is a serious um, problem. And so verse 11, John writes, Dear friend, he's referring to, to Gaius here, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. In other words, don't imitate Diotrephes and his evil behavior, his, his self-love and his rejection of others. Don't go that way. Instead, remember God's love for us. And so, so stubborn is Diotrephes that John even seems to wonder, verse 11, if he has actually encountered God and seen God and understood God's love. Because if he has understood God's love for him in Christ on the cross, dying in our place, then, then why is he being so selfish? I think that's the logic of verse 11. Of course, there's Demetrius, who I think is another missionary about to arrive, and John is worried that Diotrephes will push him away. But John pleads with Gaius, I think, that's the implication. Here's a good man, Demetrius, well-spoken of, a man of truth. I think the idea is please don't push him away. Let him come in, welcome him. And so we come to the end of John's letters. And John, well, three John, gives us two worked examples. A wonderful example of Gaius, of, of Christian love being worked out in very practical, costly ways. But a dangerous example of Diotrephes, who loved himself and did not love the brothers in Christ. And of course, John would say to us, Walk in the truth. Be faithful to truth. Follow the example of Gaius. I love the way John finishes verse 13. He knows the danger of emails and texts. It's much better if you can chat face to face. It's true then, and it's true today as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this very personal and very practical final letter from John. We thank you for this wonderful example of of Gaius loving the brothers. And we do pray that you'd help us once again to see how Christ's love for us should spur us on to practical, costly love for those who are also in Christ with us. And Father, where there is a hint of self-love in us, where we love the position of honor the position of authority. Please help us to see that. Please humble us. Please would the love of Christ be so at work in us that we are able to see where our love is not right. And please change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.